I'm going live to record an intro for the podcast because I haven't been recording this intro. And somehow last week it worked for my re-release of the Beth Lissick episode to go live. Hi, honey. To go live to record because it, it made me get it done. Some kind of pressure of having my wife watching me on Instagram live. So uh, here, for any of you who've never seen it, here's the uh, here's the way I should get into my mic the way I should be. I'm not on it right. There we go. So it's not going to aesthetically that kind of kills the look, but it's it's where I should be. And here's what the software looks like that is recording. And here are my notes for the intro that I have been trying to do and haven't. Um, I'm re-releasing an episode that I have never re-released before, even though it's one of the best guests ever, because I was always kind of embarrassed by it before. Uh, I didn't really listen to it after it got made, and I do usually listen to them to learn from them. And I never re-listened to the episode with Eugene because it felt, uh, I don't know. Uh, we recorded in the first year of the podcast, and it was one of the first recordings I did live and not on the phone. And we did it late at night after a few drinks, after his two-week-old son, Ollie, had gone to bed. And I had fun doing it, but I just always felt kind of funny about it. It was almost like at that point, uh, Eugene and I had just gotten to know each other as more than kind of like brothers-in-law. Our wives were best friends. And there I was sitting there asking him about what it feels like to be successful. <laughs> and, and it felt kind of funny. But so I really felt because he's had a really a tougher year than, than most of us. And this past week, some, some nice things have happened. There was a lovely uh, Sunday Times article you can find uh, if you just Google Eugene Merman New York Times or Eugene Merman Brooklyn comedy about the his film that just came out called it started as a joke yeah it just came out uh, on uh streaming and you can stream it on itunes amazon and google play and it traces the 10 years of the eugene merman comedy festival and the rise of uh indie comedy in brooklyn it's a really wonderful movie it traces the the history of the festival but it also um traces the illness of our dear friend who passed earlier this year, Katie, his wife, and making a movie about a comedy festival that mixes in cancer is a very risky venture. And I don't know about you, but I've seen some some specials uh, in the past few years that have had varying success of adding emotion and death to a comedy special. Uh, and so I was nervous about this, but it is a beautiful and funny. Uh, when I was a kid, we used to say, you'll laugh, you'll cry. It's this year's Moonstruck. This is a you'll laugh, you'll cry. It's this year's Moonstruck film. So go watch it started as a joke here in our collective solitude on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, and Sony, and a bunch of other places. It's well worth whatever small investment you'll make in it. I also wanted to tell you that Eugene has been uh, giving daily quarantine, quarantine routine updates that you can find on his page on Instagram or Facebook and probably elsewhere as well on his own website. 
Today was daily quarantine routine number 18. So he's been doing this for 18 days. And it's just a list of his daily activities. And I won't um, butcher the humor of Eugene Merman by reading more than one or two entries. So here are one or two entries from today's routine number 18 that you should, they, they bring a little ray of sunshine to my day every morning. Uh, 7 a.m., wake up, put on a raincoat and take a shower. Wow, that's just like walking to work. 9 a.m., go ahead, eat the prosciutto leg you were saving to impress Billy D. Williams. They go on like that every day. So I think that's all I really needed to say to then go up and edit what I've just been saying to you all into the intro. Uh, tomorrow, if you want to listen to a, a pleasant hour and hour plus conversation with Eugene Merman about the vicissitudes, the, the many splendors of fame, uh, along with some interjected thoughts about comedy itself and investing 10,000 hours in, in something being necessary to success and being the father of a two-week-old boy who's now turning four this year, and to hear a conversation with Eugene when his baby was two weeks old and before, I think the idea of the movie was just being hatched. And if you're really feeling nostalgic, Barack Obama was president, there was no pandemic, and other sad things hadn't happened yet. Then give a listen. Oh, one more pandemic tip for you. That is that Questlove has been DJing live every single night and sometimes in the afternoon since we were all locked inside. Um, you can find him by searching for The Roots or Questlove on Twitch, uh, Insta, YouTube, uh, other places too. And it's it's anywhere from two to five hours of musical absolute magic peppered with little anecdotes and history of the music he's playing. It's amazing. Uh, look for Questlove Live. And one last, last tiny, tiny thing is that the long-promised conversation with Jesse Thorne will be out later this week or early next week. Thanks. Enjoy. I think there's like, I definitely appreciate that people like my work and I definitely appreciate a certain level of stuff, but I don't believe like someone would be like allowed to like drag me around a town for four hours mm -hmm. meeting people. Like, I don't know. I don't know where like the, mm -hmm. the line would be. So I definitely know, know people who I see get overwhelmed by a level of sort of unusual intrusiveness that nobody would normally do except for they weirdly think is appropriate, I guess, if you're... That they're entitled. Yeah, because they're like, well, I, I think there's this idea of, like, I gave you your career or something. I don't yeah. really know. Yeah. It, it might be. I mean, again, this is not yeah. that common. Yeah. But I've certainly seen it where I think, like, oh, like, thank God that isn't me. Like, that seems completely overwhelming. Hello, 
everyone. Welcome to 15 Minutes, a podcast about fame, episode 15. I'm Jamie Berger. At this mini milestone, I'd like to send out huge thanks to my guests so far for their trust and earnest, eager participation. They are John Hodgman, Case Hudson, Mark Berger, Annie Duke, Tim Lockfeld, Lois Parkinson, Monty Belmonte, Hardy White, Matthew Latkowitz, Soren Mason Temple, Dave Rothstein, Daniel Oppenheimer, Andy Zeisler, Penny Lane, and Sarah Jaffe. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You get the idea. Thank you. Also, and of course, thanks so much to all of you for joining us on this little exploration of ours. To Christian Kundari for our theme music. And special thanks to Ed Patnode for always making me sound as pretty as is humanly achievable. You may know Eugene Merman from his comedy albums or Comedy Central specials, from his roles on many series such as Flight of the Concords, Delocated, and most recently as the voice of Gene on Bob's Burgers. You may even know him as Benny Foy, the bad guy in the 1999 Firestarter episode of Third Watch. I don't know him from that, just looked it up, but I look forward to trying to find it. Or, as I said back in episode one about Mr. Hodgman, you may not know him at all. If that's the case, I hope you'll enjoy getting to know him via this conversation. And the couple of segments thrown in from his monumental nine-volume latest release, yes, nine-volume latest release on Sub Pop Records, entitled, I'm Sorry, you're welcome. Those of you who know me know that my Sub Pop hoodie, which I stole from Eugene, is one of my prized possessions. Not only because great artists like him and Death Vessel and so many more have been on that label, but because Sub Pop has been rocking my world for real since way back when I used to eagerly await the arrival at Sounds Records on St. Mark's Place of the next Sub Pop cassette compilation way back in the mid-80s. So it's a huge honor to be able to thank Sub Pop for permission to use a couple of Eugene's tracks. Go shop for Eugene's albums and so many more beautiful noises on Sub Pop's Megamart at megamart.subpop.com. Once again, that's megamart.subpop.com. Eugene and I spoke Late at night, while I was recovering from a cold, and he was getting used to fathering a two-week-old back in early September at his home in an undisclosed location in eastern Massachusetts. Hi. Hello. It's funny, when I record these things on the phone, it makes sense to say hello, but in person, it never makes sense. It's a good start. So, this whole fame thing, yeah, it's an awkward topic. It's like mm-hmm. money and God, and that's why I kind of want to talk about it. Monty, who you talk to on the radio from time to time, yep. made a good point that he said, you know who does talk about it? People who have experience of it with each other. Mm-hmm. Because... When you're talking to people who aren't, you know, in the world of fame, it's awkward. 
Because you don't want to, it's like if you're a gay right. person, you don't want to hold it over someone's head and you don't want to underplay it and you don't want it, it, to, it, it's an awkward thing. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this the other day in terms of you. Because you seem, in, in the years I've known you, as comfortable and as welcoming with this weird status as anyone I've come across in my life. And you and John Hodgman are both very comfortable with it, but on very different <laughs> ends, in that he is, you know, was openly like, I love attention. Right. And I want this. And why wouldn't you want people to come up to you and say you're great? Right, right. Whereas you just seem to be like, okay, this is part of what I do. Well, also, it's like, it's totally nice to have people come up to you and compliment you. It's just like, can you be at a thing and does does, does someone end up, like, monopolizing you in a way that's, like, weird? Um, where, like, you're with a friend and then someone just starts talking to you. In any other situation, that would be fine. And then after, like, a minute or two, you'd go, like, okay... Well, I'm going to get back to the thing yeah, I was doing. Yeah. And then in some instances, it's, like, weird and you can't. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm also, like, you know, I'm moderately famous. And so then as a result, most of my experiences are largely positive. Like, it's people saying nice things mm-hmm. to me and then being like, all right, I'll mm-hmm. see you later. Like, I mean, people literally right. coming up and being like, just so you know, I really like you. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah. And that is... Totally yeah. pleasant. I was talking to Hardy White, but he said whenever he runs into someone, like he ran into Mel Brooks at Calder Raceway in Florida, mm-hmm. and he was with friends, and he was in awe, and he was a big fan, but then he thought to himself, what business do I have with the man? If I have something specific to say to him, great, but if not, going up and saying, you're great, is as far as I should go. And then he also said, maybe I shouldn't even say, you're great. But then maybe this it's really important to this person to have strangers come up to them and say they're great. And if they don't, then so he creates this, this complicated. Right. And when you see someone that you know and respect in a public, for their public persona, yeah. complicated shit happens in your brain. Yeah. And I guess the, the easy, fun question I wanted to start with uh, before I immediately didn't do that was I was trying to think of a, like, uh, a hypothetical situation. So, in terms of your existence right now, you're you're in a good space. You're in. You've got a show that's 100 episodes or more deep, mm-hmm. and it's continuing. If you had to choose one or the other, if you could become more like Patton Oswalt, known, mm-hmm. or more like Nancy Cartwright, Bart Simpson, unknown, mm-hmm. visually on the street, which would you choose? Um, I guess more like Patton. Aha. Yeah. But, but, but we're talking about degrees or we're talking talking about, about, like, that's the thing. Like, it's sort of a weak question. Like, they're like, as far as I'm concerned, you're going like, would you like to have two more pancakes or one less pancake? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I guess two more. Like, (laughs) like, like, like if your question was like, would you like people to... Uh, assume things about you and bother you all day long? No, but like, right? But he risks that. Well, well, you're saying spectrum. You, you, yeah. you made you it's, made it. They're two opposite ends of fame spectrum. She's super famous and super invisible visually. Yeah, yeah. She can walk in anywhere. I don't know what yeah, yeah. she looks like. Yeah. Now my thought is, I've always had issues with wanting more you know, to be a you know, 
things that fame gets, right. but I would much rather be her than him. Well, well, I, I, I think it, I guess to me it's, it's just sort of like what, like, I do stand-up, so there's like a certain amount right. of... Right. There's just, there's in general there's a certain amount of convenience that comes with fame, and then mm-hmm. at some point it probably shifts. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I don't know. Like I'd say like vaguely a little more would be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, too much more probably would be un- unhelpful. Like at some point it it would be unhelpful. Right. Like I'm not like I moved to a small town. Like I don't. I'm not. I'm trying to pursue an enjoyable life. Yes. M- m- largely. And you're in a good spot. Like tonight, we went out, and it didn't seem like anyone... Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. There was a New Yorker profile of the president mm-hmm. about a year and a half ago, and one of the things he said he's, he's, he's sad about is that when it's all over, he'll never be able to walk into a diner and order a piece of pie and just say hi and yeah. chat with people. Yeah. And it's like tough luck. You know, you're, that's, yeah, yeah. that's life. You're the leader of the free world. But, but also, it, but, that's a kind of weird thing to probably never be able to do. Yeah, I would never. I would never. It, like I would give up a lot in a record store. Right. I would give up a lot of fame to be able to have that anonymity yeah, when yeah. I wanted. It, I guess. And I have some very good news. I am nowhere near as famous right. as the president. No, or or Pat Oswalt on a, on a yeah, visual yeah. basis. And I guess I guess the easier question is: Would you rather stay exactly the way you are, or have? You know, Patton also makes more money and has more. You know, he, I mean, I, I'm not trying to. I don't know what money no, no, you I guys understand. make, but he's a bigger star. Uh, yeah, I mean, would you? What does one want once one? It's like you get to, to do the work you like. Yeah. With the people you like. I yes, I'm sure that it would be fine to be between twenty and fifty percent more famous. <laughs> and I think at the at like above that, it would be more of like it would affect your everyday life more, like. You know, no one bothers largely anyone in, like, my family or, like, my right. wife. Or, like, you know, I don't know. Like, right. I don't really know. The I know lots of people more famous who largely, I think, are fine or enjoy it or, mm-hmm. you know, but it's not overwhelming. And other people... Yeah, I do you know, know anyone who isn't fine? Who struggles I mean, with it? No, I don't even naming. think it's struggle. I think it's just more like people make up stories or they or like it's a thing that you went and bought crayons or right. you came into the store, like your right. every activity, you your opinions, like right. people will report on if you say you like think mozzarella is bad. Like at some point right. like that that seems to me that seems very overwhelming right. if people were like like if that I mean, there's literally news stories that are just like, this person said that chocolate's okay. And you're like, oh, all right. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's... All right, well, I mm-hmm. I hope they're not... That they're okay. When you started high school and then at Hampshire, yeah. what were your dreams and imagination of success? I mean, I think that it was always some version of living in... A studio apartment <laughs> to a one-bedroom apartment, yeah. and and making money from comedy. Yeah, that was always like it was very, I, it it was very sort of like earthbound. Mm-hmm. Like, like it was like, well, I think that if I could do this, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 that's sort of true, and that 
is the case with a lot of what I did. I think at some point it's like, oh, I don't, I don't, like, I think I can handle, like, or I could handle about 10 years of, like, sleeping on a futon on the ground mm-hmm. or whatever it was. That at some point you're like, okay, yeah. well, I would, I would like a, like a bed frame. Yeah. Well, was there a specific moment when you realized, okay, those were very modest ambitions. I have achieved them. Like, what do I view as sort of, like, succeeding, which was yeah. basically functioning from being a cop, like, yeah. meaning having a functionable life from being yeah. a comedian. Um, uh, you know, my goals were always sort of to work on things that I enjoyed and with people I enjoyed. Yeah. Um, and that is largely what I've done. You know, I, I definitely, like, occasionally audition for things or try to do stuff, but mostly I work on projects with friends that I like and or my own projects or whatever it is you know yeah. so i don't know that i had any kind of overall goal i think i just wanted to do some stuff in comedy mm-hmm. you know and that might have been writing for a tv show or it might have been doing stand up <laughs> or voiceover or you know uh, hosts of things and it i mean and so much of what people do now you know like podcasts or whatever it is the, the mediums half existed and half didn't didn't at the time mm-hmm. that I began. So when I, I mean, when I was maybe, I don't know, like thirteen or fourteen, I think I was like, I want to be a a film director because that's sort of what I the like the job I understood in entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I remember some older like kid visiting or something like I think he was goth, sort of asking like, well, who's your favorite director? And I don't know, I was thirteen. I was like Steven Spielberg. Like I don't think I. I don't know if I knew of, like, significantly another director. And then he was like, oh, that's very, like, mainstream or something. I was like, I I don't know. I'm 13. Like, I don't know. I just want to do... I just want to... I think I was like, I want to work in the arts, and I don't know how to phrase it, and I'm 13, and I'm foreign. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so there was a time. You came to Turner's, and you Mm -hmm. visited. And we went out. We went to the, the bar. And my friend Marlene, I think it was her birthday... And at a friend of hers house, they were having a party. Mm-hmm. And I was like, let's go to a party. And I thought it was going to be a big party. Like, you know, we could just show up and kind mm-hmm. of drift in and out. And we, we drove there, and it was a very small party. Mm-hmm. And we were in one room, and I happen to know, I didn't bring it up at the time, that she and friends were big fans of you and your mm-hmm. your, your friends. Uh, sure. Uh, back to, you know, delocated but mm-hmm. fans of your work. And... and I think that much more for me than for you, I was uncomfortable. But I was uncomfortable for you thinking you might be uncomfortable. I felt awkward on your behest, but I don't think that you necessarily... No, I think it was fine. Because it was also like friends of yours. Yeah. It'd be one thing if I was alone or like I was in some town and there was a show and for some reason I went to something and then Mm -hmm. I didn't know anybody. But like at any place that I know people, Mm -hmm. then it's... Largely fine. Yeah. Living or dead? Do you do you think of a dream audience, a dream person you want to respect your work, whose whose judgment you want you want to to positive judgment from? Oh, I don't know. You know what's funny? I so years ago. I mean, probably at this point, ten, maybe more. Um, I did a show in in Buffalo, New York. Like somebody, like a friend of a friend was like, we're doing shows and it was in a movie theater, like in a regular movie theater. 
like then they have Buffalo has some sort of like a week of like theater and arts mm-hmm. and uh, and it was this sort of like odd show in this movie theater with like a random audience who really wanted me to do it and they like flew me to Buffalo and, and that was like at the time <laughs> incredible like <laughs> yeah. I think like I don't know if that was like one of the first times anyone was like would you get inside an airplane and come and do this thing then mm-hmm. we'll give you like I don't know like $700 like definitely more money than I made in probably like a week or like it yeah. was just something like okay yeah. this is uh, yeah this like I'll do this and and I remember thinking like I don't know it's like I might bomb like it might be weird like I don't know what, anything about this and all these people who were also you know I was probably I guess I must have been in my very early 30s or late 20s actually mm-hmm. and all these people who were in their like 50s or whatever it, uh, it is like really really loved it huh. and I just remember thinking like oh I had these like notions of like who would like like my comedy or not and and it was just really sweet and it was a wonderful experience and and I just remember thinking like oh like a like the audience I imagined isn't necessarily you know like it it can be whoever like yeah. like like whoever connects with it and and I know that's sort of a roundabout thing because I'm sure like because the other answer would be like I wish Mark Twain enjoyed me you I, know yeah. like so that's like one version but actually and it's funny and I was saying this actually recently to somebody and they're like but I'm like 42 now so the idea that somebody eight years older than me like likes right. my joke that's about my life is like right. yeah that makes way more right. sense than a 22 year old being like laughing at my favorite band reference or something yeah um but at the time i thought it was i I really like appreciated being like in my probably like late 20s and having people much older like really really Mm -hmm. relate to what i was doing Mm -hmm. and then mark twain and mark twain wow sure yeah humorous guy um so on the opposite end of the spectrum i mean we've all died doing performance at least any of us who ever performed yeah are there particularly brutal criticism or live response or online or a person who you respected who was critical or anything there that taught you something or just bummed you out um <clears throat> i thought you might struggle to find that it's not even that it's like it's not like i did a show and like Oh, yeah, there was the time I did stand-up and Roger Daltrey was very angry. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have, like, a a story like that. I think, you know... um, Yeah, I don't necessarily mean an important person, quote-unquote. But just I mean, in terms of... I mean, things have changed so much where, like... I used to get emails where people would be, like... Like, the second time I did Conan, I I bombed moderately. Uh, Like, it wasn't great. And an owl flew. The guy before me was a animal experty person, <laughs> and so an owl flew into the audience and and unnerved people. But then I added to it by just doing a sort of uh, like not particularly confident sort of mediocreish set. Mm-hmm. And I remember like somebody emailing me. I like I think you could just go to my website and my mm-hmm. email address was there, and they were like, "How'd you get on television?" Like. It was, like, somebody who was, I think, a comic in Florida, and he was, like, I, like our friend, like, <coughs> we always wonder how people get on television. You were terrible. And I, and then I was, like, I was terrible. It, I did a terrible job. Did you job. respond and say that? Yeah, yeah, I emailed. Yeah. I was, like, yeah, it was very bad. I did a very bad job. And I think they were 
taken aback by me re- replying and then taken quite aback by me agreeing with them. Yeah, and, I'm sure. It must have made them feel I like, was oh. like, yeah, I mean, I wanted to do well. I would like to do better. And then I did. Like, then the next times I went on, I did better. And, you know, but you can, you know, people ask often, like, do you get nervous when you get on stage? And the truth is you can basically always fail. Mm-hmm. And so there's, like, a certain amount to which you hope that you've gotten better you hope that when you step on stage, you, you know, have what it is to, like, make people laugh and have it work. But there's something about the fact that you can always fail that yeah. never goes away. Um, and I think that's actually good. Like, I think, like, that feeling keeps you trying and, and, and wanting to yeah. do better and trying to avoid it. I, I don't mean avoiding, like, risk or, like, not taking a chance and something going wrong. <laughs> But but I think like that's a thing you can always fail. Yeah. If anything, know. I think that makes you more. You seem very comfortable with risk, because you can fail, and you have to fail. Yeah. To learn and you, yeah. I mean, I think that comedy is a bit of science, and so you do trial and error. You try things in different ways. You have different versions of different stuff, and then yeah. whatever works best, you use. And then the truth is, you know what what works kind of works. I had, I did an interview, I just did the tour with Concords and I did an interview with a radio station. They were like, do you change things for, they said, do you change things when you do like these big outdoor shows? And I was like, oh yeah, when I do like big outdoor shows, I just do U2 covers. But but it's also this notion that like I have two acts. I have like one right. act that really kills with three hundred right. people, right. and then I have the stuff I choose not to do that right. makes ten thousand people right. laugh. Because we make so because you make so much work. Whatever makes three hundred people laugh makes five thousand people laugh, and then you know within reason. Like, uh, yeah. So that's that's vaguely an answer, maybe. Do you, I've never so, thought about this before. Do you have a preferred size? Yeah, house size. I yeah, I would say sort of five hundred to fifteen hundred. Yeah, vaguely. that's as big like, as you can get and be intimate. Yeah, and there are a few thousand. I mean, with Concords, it's really fun, and like their shows are largely say in the four to six thousand people range, and it actually feels like pretty intimate and good. But offhand, yeah, I would say around a thousand yeah. plus or minus. Yeah. You also seem like more. You seem comfortable with the success, but also with the... You told a story that resolved really well, and I don't really exactly remember it to me once, about someone from high school. Oh, I think it was somebody who had maybe been mean as a kid and reached out and yeah, wanted to yeah, meet like up, a bully. and he came to a show and was sort of sweet and apologized, and it was very... I mean, I think that he was going through AA and his... So he knew who he'd been. Well, well, he was basically like in the stage where you apologize to people. Just the sort yeah. of uh, odd part from my end of it was he was apologizing to someone that he was mean to in like sort of junior high or high school where I don't believe he had been drinking, but I actually have no idea. Like mm-hmm. I didn't ask yeah. specifically. So it was just sort of like I, did, I, don't, I don't know enough about AA to know when like you reach out to a poli- like like what the range is of apology and like what the time frame is but whatever it was like he felt like he wanted to meet up and so he came to this show to apologize but that really had nothing to do with fame as much as that you could reach out to people and ask if you could apologize i think at first he was he was moderately mysterious so i didn't know what it was about 
And so I had, oh. so I, so I had a fear. I think I wrote about it in my book, but I, my fear was that he was like, oh, like I wanted to like be oh, an maybe improv that's group. where I remembered yeah, yeah. from, from yes. the book. Uh, but yeah, he was. I'm, you know, what's funny is like he, I think he went to UMass, and I remember like running into him when I was in college, mm-hmm. and seemed totally fine. Like it didn't, you know, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't a thing that like weighed on me, but I was sort of glad to help him feel better. Yeah. But it wasn't really nearly anything about fame as much as someone going through a thing being like, can I tell you I'm sorry? And I'm like, sure, you can, yeah, if that'll cheer you up, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a, I, I had an experience like that on Facebook where someone wrote me from college. Oh, really? Apologizing for a comment they made to me in a bar in 1984. Yeah. And I wrote back and said, no problem. Yeah. And I'm just going to kind of hope they'd never hear this because... Not only did I not remember the comment, I didn't know who the person was writing me. Right. That they remembered. Well, I think that when you make a mistake, <laughs> yeah. it burns yeah. in you. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think you remember that stuff yeah. in you. And yeah, I hope. Yeah. You know, every t- I think I hope that everyone who I've ever yeah. made a mistake towards doesn't mm-hmm. recall me. So Facebook is trying a thing, and this is we're basically Facebook is testing out a feature that charges users $100 to send direct messages to strangers on the social network. So they tried it with Mark Zuckerberg, where you could pay $100 and then your message would reach Mark Zuckerberg. Who here would do that? Who would pay $100 to reach Mark Zuckerberg? Who would pay $100 maybe to reach any celebrity that they like? So a little. Well, I agree with the minority who clapped a little like they were sick little babies. <laughs> and I humbly disagree with the majority who did not clap. So there's two kinds of celebrities. You can't just pay $100 and reach anybody. Some celebrities on Facebook let you like them, and some let you like and message them. One that lets you like him but not message is uh, Harrison Ford. You can like him, but he doesn't want to hear, like, who do you think would win in a fight, Han Solo or Indiana Jones? <laughs> A person with a very similar policy to uh, Harrison Ford is uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. <laughs> you can like Mahmoud, but you can't be like, Mahmoud, I have some policy suggestions. And he'd be like, I'm not even in charge anymore. I was a puppet anyway. <laughs> Mahmoud weirdly also has 40,899 likes. I would get it if Mahmoud had like 10 million likes. Or if he had, like, two likes and his parents were like, he's still our Mahmoud. (laughs) There are other celebrities, though, that you can like and message. And this is one. uh, Val Kilmer. You can like him and message him. And so I did. This is the message I sent Val. Hey, Val, I put my dick in peanut butter. (laughs) Ha ha, great job in Top Gun. Bye-bye. P.S. Please send nude pics. <laughs> I would absolutely pay $100 to know that Val Kilmer one morning opened his inbox and was like, ooh. <laughs> but all right. Another person you can like and message, and this is awesome, is uh, John Boehner. You could, yeah. For $100, be like, yeah, John got my message. And here's the message I wrote John. 
Hey, John. My name is Eugene Merman, and I do the voice of Gene on Fox's Bob's Burgers. I imagine your job must be super hard, and the people are blaming you for things when you're just trying to do the best you can. If you ever want to take LSD together, I can try to find some. It's probably not illegal to say, right? I only did it once 20 years ago after a Lou Reed concert, but I think it would be fun. Do you want to take a road trip together sometime? If driving across the country with a stranger makes you nervous, I'm happy to go on horseback. That way, if you feel uncomfortable, you can gallop away. No hard feelings. Thanks. Lastly, and I admittedly sent this before some of his recent troubles, uh, but you could like add message uh, Justin Bieber. I'm sure it reaches like his manager or somebody, not him, uh, but uh, that is honestly good enough for me. And this is what I wrote Justin. Hey Justin, congrats on everything. I put a $1 bill in my butt and I'm not taking it out till you and I have an open and honest dialogue about religion. So worth $101. It'd be so awesome to see him one day and be like, oh, did you ever get my message? A lot of times when I do these, I talk to people about, or people bring up one of the things of fame besides you know, the ability to make a living has given them is access to other people, to people they admire, to mm -hmm. people that you can pitch stuff to, to, to people. Yes. You seem like, when I look at your career and your friends, that you've had kind of a group of people that, I don't know if you worked with different ones of, over the years, and you've, you've kind of stuck with this. There's, there's Lauren, and there's, there's John Benjamin, and there's uh, 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 John Glazier, and there's these people who you've, yeah, those, those communities are also with. all people that I admired from when I was you did. starting out. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. So they were a level that you... Had... They, they all were writing for had uh -huh. television shows uh -huh. when I was probably still in Boston. Are they a little older? Yeah, probably okay. eight, eight years or so. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think of you all as peers. Yeah, yeah, and I, now, I mean, yeah. sure, as people yeah. who are younger than me and... Right, yeah, our peers with you, yeah. Our peers and, you know, who started after me but have yeah. television shows and yeah. movies. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that it all sort of gets evened out. Yeah. But the one thing that, as I'm saying this, does seem like that is, is um, Star Talk. Yeah. They, that, and, and the new podcast, I haven't heard anything about the... Hold on. Is, is, is it... That's the name of the podcast. <laughs> Sorry, that was what like is almost. It? Uh, you, you last time I saw you, you were kind of telling me that it was about to happen. But. No, no, no. In, in in it, well, it's it's out on I think Audible, mm -hmm. and then will be available on Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's a podcast where basically uh, me and a performer listen to a story they've told, and then I sort of pause and ask questions. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, yes, be doing. Mm -hmm comedy or being in the arts and then getting more well known you get to work with people like that, that you grew up admiring I mean my last comedy special 
Bobcat Goldthwait directed. Yeah. You know, and he was somebody that I listened to a lot as a kid. And when I first moved to Boston and started doing comedy after college, this comic, Tony V, great guy, was He was really at the good. show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was at the show, at yeah. At the Boston show. He yeah, seemed exactly. like a nice guy. Yeah. Wonderful guy. He... So, so I was started this, like, weekly show, and he would come by sometimes, and he was, like, you know, one of Bobcat's best friends, and so when Bobcat would come to Boston, they he would do shows with him, and, and he, you know, remember him asking me, like, oh, we're going to do morning radio, do you want to come to, like, WFNX with me and Bobcat at, like, mm-hmm. five in the morning or whatever it was? And I was like, yeah, that would be amazing. And they picked me up, and it was this incredible experience. And they were so sweet. So it's, like, really incredible that, like, 15 or, yeah, like, 15, 18 years later, mm-hmm. Bobcat directs my special. Yeah. And getting to know people who, yeah, I've long admired yeah. and thought were really funny. That is that is great. And also it's great that, like, because there's the, the whole, like, the idea of, like, don't meet your heroes. But actually, like, for me... You know, everyone that I sort of grew up admiring, or even like almost parallel to like meaning where you wouldn't know that they started five yeah. or ten years before me. Yeah. Um, yeah, largely turned out to be actually like incredibly sweet and then great collaborators and really funny. Don't meet them because they'll be disappointed. Well, I think it's, I think when people say that, they mean like, uh, d- don't, don't meet like, I think it's like, don't meet Bob Dylan. Like, meaning, like, if you're a bit... Like, I know people who are, like, fans of Bob Dylan. Right, but who like, who, who have adjacent careers, but happen to, like... And I'm sure that if he knows or likes right. you, like, it's probably fine or whatever. Right. Like, but but I... Th- so when people say, like, don't meet your heroes, right. they mean more, like... Because it'll disappoint? Yeah, because they'll yeah. be, like... Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Because, yeah. like, Bob yeah. Dylan will be, like, yeah. hey, I'm Bob Dylan and I'm a little busy yeah. right now, but, like... Nice to yeah. like. Thanks. I yeah. I gotta go. I was already unnerved in the sixties. Yeah. Well, not just your comedy uh, colleagues, but you have a, a a very special friend who is your Robin Hitchcock, who yeah. is your your one of your icons. Yeah. Who now is your your friend and and you tour with and yeah. So meet your freaking heroes. How did you guys meet? Um, through through musician friends. Um, <laughs> and then at some point. He made, there was like a documentary of like an album or something that he did for Sundance and they asked yeah. me to interview him and then I think <coughs> we had sort of met in New York largely yeah. through friends. I mean also like, I, you know, there's I don't particularly have expectations of any of the people yeah. that I'm meeting or like and yeah. you sort of like end up liking and getting along with whoever you do. Yeah. Though a lot of the people that I grew up liking have all largely turned out to be like really sweet yeah. and, and, and just wonderful and also yeah that's great that's like an incredibly satisfying element of of pursuing stuff of comedy or, or arts or whatever yeah where like a lot of people that I greatly enjoyed like I get to tour with or yeah. I know or we yeah. do stuff I mean even like one of my first things was when I moved to New York I started uh I, I did a few shows with Stella and then toured opening for them with Michael Ian Black and David Wayne yeah. and and Michael Showalter and then Michael Showalter and I toured a ton and uh, you know I was in college when the state uh blew up and mm-hmm. that was 
it was incredible that that like five or eight years after or whatever maybe ten yeah. after like I was touring with them that was really an amazing thing and actually like so they were really helpful David Cross incredibly helpful like uh, did shows with him and then he brought me to London with 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 Kristen Shaw and Todd mm -hmm. Berry and we did shows there Patton Oswalt like with comedians of comedy a lot of times there's all these people who you love their work and then they're like I mean also they're just incredibly helpful and and, mm -hmm. and and the same thing like you know there's comics that that I really like that, that that I've that you try to help as you meet them and you know eventually everybody like you're all sort of peers yeah um, but yeah and how did you end up working with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson and Startup um the producer I, I know that means a lot to you you, you no, talk no, about it as yeah no a I adore doing that show uh, Helen, who was a producer on that show, came to Union Hall years and years ago as StarTalk either was starting or had started, but it was in its first months, I think, mm -hmm. if even, and said that she was doing the show and wanted to know if I wanted to maybe do it, and I was like, yeah, I'd, you know, I'd be interested in meeting mm -hmm. Neil and doing it, and, and then I think like months, like six months later, or some amount of time later she reached out and was like would you like to come to the planetarium and mm -hmm. meet Neil and I thought like we would meet and it'd be like this 20 30 minute I don't know just mm -hmm. like a meeting and it was like two and a half hours wow. of talking about stuff and then you know after like two hours or something they were like all right well let's just do like do a test episode and I was like all right and so he had this <laughs> microphone that recorded like this or something yeah and we just sort of sat and he talked about science and I sort of joked around and then, you know, a little bit after that they had me come into the studio and then a little bit after that I was like, let's try to do it live. And so it began, you know, it began because I have a weekly show that, um, mm -hmm. that the producer came to as mm -hmm. sort of a lot of things yeah. happen. Yeah. I mean, I think that I always... Just yeah, my thought was always do as much as you can. In that. Yeah, that, that and one more testament to keep doing the shit. Yeah, you like love. I would, you wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, you do a thing you enjoy, and then yeah, you know. Well, I guess I think of it as like you do fifteen things you enjoy, and then yeah. one or two of them will pan out. Yeah, I'm cracking up because I, I, I think I've edited it out in like four episodes of, of conversations I've had with people, and it's in at least one where I have an, uh, a one-sided argument with you about the ten years. Yeah, thing that we've we've talked about many times. I uh, yeah, I mean it's hard because from my point of view, let's preface it. Yeah, what am I talking about? Go ahead. Oh, uh, before Malcolm Gladwell. No. Yes, uh, before yeah, right? yeah, yeah. This I mean, is, it's, yeah. it's 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 like kiddingly true. Uh, yeah, I often insist that if you focus on stuff for about ten years. Yeah that you'll succeed, uh, largely yeah. succeed. And and again, even when I say it in terms of myself, like, you know, maybe it'd be a writing job, maybe it'd be some humor column for a thing, maybe it'd be stand-up, maybe it'd be acting. Like, I never had the idea that it'd be exactly something. I just yeah. thought it would be vaguely yeah. working in comedy. Yeah, and it's unfair, because I've tried to call you on it specifically. Like, I know... When I was in San Francisco trying to do stand-up for a year, I saw people who'd been at it for a decade, and they still were totally baristas, and, and still were bad. And 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 <laughs> uh, yes, and then Matt and I, uh, uh, 
one of my best friends, Matt, um, would often talk about, have the same debate of, you know, whether, like, it was enough to, 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 to like, work hard and have this goal. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, and I think I would always argue that it sort of was. But there's a certain element of fortune. But but then on the other hand, like, throughout your life, you'll meet 100 people yeah. that you might work with. And so it's like, sure, it's fortune, but the more you do, the higher yeah. your chances are. Also with stand-up, it's one of the only things that, like, if you get on stage and make people laugh... Like, I don't know anyone who can get on stage, make people laugh for an hour, and isn't a successful comic. Uh-huh. You know? So sure. It's like, so it's like, it's a slightly different art form. But like, that, I know people who can sing well and can't right. succeed. Right. But, but that's different. If you can make people laugh for an hour... A, there are people who could spend a decade working hard and not make people laugh for an hour. That's different, and yes, that's okay. true. But, but, it's but the reason that, that I common. feel I feel the more I've I've talked to people about this without you in the room, yeah. the more I feel that I'm being silly and that your point is almost if you love something, what don't just talk about loving it. Spend ten years doing it as hard as you can. Yeah. And then you can come back to me and say, but I still suck. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, it is slightly self-selective. Though I will say that virtually everyone like that I started with in Boston, who then moved to pursue it, like yeah. not every, not necessarily if you stayed, but everyone I knew who moved, and 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 many of the people who stayed, but like everyone who moved, like became yeah. a professional comedian and, of yeah. some version, or a writer, or, or a writer. Or, yeah, either they write for <coughs> a TV show, or they have their own show, or mm-hmm. they're successful stand-up or you know basically everyone and maybe it was the the group of people I knew or whatever it was but but everyone who kind of pursued it strongly enough to leave and go to the place where the industry is you know like if you want to yeah I'm sure that every town has its industry or that industries have their town yeah so if you go to the New York or LA and maybe, you know, things have changed now. Maybe you don't have to do that as much. But at the time that I moved, that was definitely what you needed to do. And then most of those people did. Going back to the either, you know, I, I did the voice artist who's invisible versus yeah, yeah. public figure. Mm-hmm. It sounds to me like if you knew you'd be secure for the rest of your life just doing voice work, yeah, you're acting, you'd still want to go on stage and do stand-up. Well, that's because I enjoy stand-up. Yeah, that's what I'm but, saying. You just enjoy, yeah. But um, I think the question is, like, say I could be successful doing whatever, <clears throat> and, like, like meaning, like, have a home and, like, everything was stable, mm-hmm. you know, then I would probably be like, oh, I'd, I'd be fine with being, like, either a little more famous or not. Like, mm-hmm. meaning there's a certain amount of, like, s- like, success from fame. Like, meaning if I was on some hit TV... Well, I guess I am on a popular TV show, but if I was on, like, a super hit TV show that, like, meant, like, a thousand people or mm-hmm. two thousand people would come every time I that performed... That weren't animated. That yeah, wasn't yeah, animated. that where you could recognize me. Yeah. Well, the, the, the Although you're pretty done. You look no, a no, lot no, like Gene. I do, but yeah. meaning... And also a lot of the... A lot of people know the voice... Like, the actors behind the voices... Of mm-hmm. Bob's, maybe because we're all yeah. comics or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, there's a degree to which 
I think like I would be fine with like s some degree of more fame, but but partially in like in terms of it being practical. Yeah. Like uh like it would be helpful in mm -hmm. certain ways, but but yeah, if I thought I was stable, yeah, I would be fine with not. It occurred to me as we were just talking that if there's anyone who kind of epitomizes the invisible superstar your friend John Benjamin is the star of all these shows and is much more invisible than you are on a, on the street I think no really quite oh a people God, know what he no. looks like well he had a show called John Benjamin as a van as someone who's been out with John a lot yeah people recognize him really? a great deal yeah 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 it's again. That's just my. It, it's the world of little. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, you both know what he looks like and know him from a bunch of shows. No, he's he's very very recognized. He doesn't look like Archer. No. No. But he doesn't look no. like Bob either. No. Looks doesn't look at all like Bob. Looks like a older Ben. No. But you look like Gene. I do look like Gene, but I'm the one that was drawn to look like. Were you me. the only one? I think so, based on what I look like and what the character yeah. is like. Um, but yeah, no, he's he's not he's not invisible. To his like mild chagrin, I, this has nothing to do with my podcast. But I, I I've never met because I've never been in any situation with you. The the guy who plays Tina, but I've seen his Dan. his stuff he did before. That is, no, not Tina. Um, John uh, Roberts. No, who plays? Yes, who Linda. plays Linda? Yes. And I've seen his character, yeah, yeah, his the YouTube, Christmas tree oh my and god, all those and the and yeah. the, the the swimming pool and her and yep. the hair. Did that come from? Did, yeah, did she Linda come from that character? Well, Linda came from his mom, and yeah, and and, and Lauren had seen. I think uh, had seen the, those that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think it was sent that stuff. That stuff um, was really fun, and yeah, and I think from that was like, yeah, that would be a great mom. And he is. He's an excellent mom. <laughs> he He's is. my mom. He's your mom. My TV mom. Yeah, your TV mom. Does anything I've been talking about bring up... It's taken this long for me. It, it's weird, because we're friends, but we're also... You're my wife's... Your wife and my wife were best friends, so yeah. we've always been friends through them. Yeah. And because in my life... I've never had any issue with knowing people, and this is a few drinks in time. I don't care if people have make a lot or have a lot more money than I am, or some kind of power, be it political or they run. But fame is—I I started doing this because it's—it's been an issue for me in my life. Mm -hmm. But I, the more I do this, and the more I think about it, the more I think, well, I've slacked off for much of thirty years. Mm -hmm. I haven't spent my ten years. But I've spent a year to three at a whole bunch of different things. So part yeah. of me feels like, damn it, I should have my turn. But I also... I, you got to really spend the 10 on a thing specifically. I know. But my point is that it's taken this hour for me to get to the point where I'm like, yeah, Eugene, this is our... I'll, I'll be better friends with you. You might have been equally comfortable with me before after this conversation. Because it's, it's like a, a thing in the room with people who are more publicly successful than I am. That it, it's a barrier in my life. Oh, that's funny. And that's I one really, of the reasons I'm really, doing this. But also what's so funny is it never occurred to me to... It makes me want to come up to people and go like, 
Hi, uh, I'm more publicly successful. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. It's stupid. I grant you. No, no. It's just such a well. It's 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 a really funny way to conceive of a thing. Publicly um, successful. Yeah. Hi, Eugene. I'm publicly successful. Uh, within reason. Not even that publicly successful. Um, sorry, I forget the question. I don't I know. I just I just wanted phrase, to share. Publicly successful. Yes. It was an emotional moment. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was it was a it was what I what I like to avoid and that I'm so built for. Mm-hmm. It was it was. It was one of my Marin moments that I I both understand why he succeeds so much as an interviewer because of them and that he and I are alike in that way where we could overshare. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to avoid it in this. No, no. It, I mean, yeah. I think it's fine. Yeah, I think. Yeah. See, now I'm doing even more like he does and saying, is it okay? Was oh, this yeah, okay? Yeah. Was it okay? <laughs> that was totally fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I, it's, it's funny because it's, because it's such a specific, moderate fame. Like, it's a fame where sometimes people say to me, are you famous? Mm-hmm. Because somebody else knows a thing I did. And and, and I, I actually, I think I just said it with a tone that's, like, nicer and, like, gentler. They mm-hmm. just mean, like, why is that guy talking to you? Like, why is everyone excited? Or something. And I'm yeah. like, uh, I don't know. Like, I'm on a cartoon. Yeah. They're like, I never heard of it. And I'm like, yeah. you don't have to have heard of it. Like, I... Yeah. I'm not the one d- doing like people will sometimes approach you like angry that uh, that their friend knows who you are. Yeah, they yeah, don't, yeah. and you're like, yeah, no, I that's that's fine. Um, yeah, so it's sort of it's so <laughs> funny because it's like to some people it's very exciting, and then largely it's sort of totally neutral. Um, that reminds me of my Wayne Coyne story. Uh, one night I was. It must be 15 years ago. I was at a uh, what was it, the night cafe. I don't know if it's still on the Upper West Side. Mm-hmm. And I was there with my friend Lodge, and you know, I was I was in San Francisco, so I was back visiting. And we were just drinking in this bar, and this guy, this little very New York guy, comes over, like little stocky guy. He says, "Hey man, are you Wayne Coyne? Because my friend." Fucking loves flaming lips, and if you're Wayne Coyne and he's too shy to come on, I'm like, no, man, I'm not. And the guy, he's, you can see the wheels are spinning in his head, and he says, "Could we just pretend you're Wayne Coyne?" <laughs> and I'm not a, I'm not a practical joker. I'm not a prankster. And I said, "No," nah, and he's gone. And he comes back with like a six foot four Native American guy with a ponytail, and and and, and he's introducing me as Wayne Coyne. I just quickly said, "I'm not Wayne Coyne." And it was nice, but it was it was really funny for a second. Wow. My hair was bigger than like I you know you can you, see how I might yeah yeah I can totally see how you look like Wayne Coyne. Uh, about a year ago, I uh, I went to this music festival in Mexico in uh, the Baja Peninsula uh, that Peter Buck, the guitarist of REM, puts on, and uh, it's it's in this very lovely small town, and the festival literally takes place at a place called. Uh, the Hotel California. Where I imagine if you work, it must be unbearable because people, whenever they arrive, must be like, so I can check out any time I like? And then the staff has to be like, no, it's at noon. I'd never been to Mexico, but it was really wonderful. And the first thing I did when I got there is I went to this concert on a beach, this very small concert, and it was at night. And, uh, and I just ate a wasp. And not like I was like trying to fit in where I was like, I should be eating wasps. 
Like, ever, like uh, it was in a taco. It was hiding in a taco that was being served, not like a sand taco that I was like, oh, I should eat whatever I find. Who knows when the next meal will be? I bit a taco and I was like, this taco really hurts. I didn't know, and I started looking in the taco. Like, I don't know what I thought I would find in the taco. I was like, I wonder why this taco is so painful. Because looking at it, I'd be like, what are you doing in my taco, tiny Nicolas Cage? Shouldn't you be making weird career decisions? And I finally looked through it, I found a, a wasp, and then I was uh, weirdly relieved, where I was like, oh, thank God a wasp stung my face. I don't have to panic. The thing that happened that was kind of crazy was the last night of the festival, uh, everybody went around the corner uh, after the show to Peter Buck's house, and I found myself at three in the morning walking back to my hotel with, with Michael Stipe, and, and we were just, you know, we were sharing recipes and uh, just telling stories of Krav Maga victories. <laughs> so we're walking back, and about 50 feet from the entrance to our hotel, uh, in pitch black night from an alleyway, an SUV screeches out, and two Mexican policemen jump out and start screaming at me and Michael Stipe in Spanish. I don't speak any Spanish. They spoke excellent Spanish. They're pointing at us and then pointing at their tinted windowed SUV and screaming, and we're both patiently terrified. And we kind of like signal to each other, let's keep going to the hotel, we've probably done nothing. And uh, they take Michael Stipe's arm and they put it behind his back, like he's a criminal. Not like he wrote Everybody Hurts, but like a criminal. <laughs> and they put his hands on the SUV and they start emptying his pockets. At which point I'm like staring at my phone being like, oh, I wonder who I should call for help. I'd call the police, but they're already helping. <laughs> Maybe I should call John Hodgman, he would know what to do. And uh, finally, they're, they're emptying his pockets, and they put my hands on the SUV, and they start emptying my pockets. And this is where I really regret not putting, uh, just not having, like, brie in my pockets. And not even in cellophane, just a ton of brie, where they just put their hands in my pockets and pull them out, and they're all wet and sticky. And I'm just like, you fuck with the wrong American! You fuck with the cheese man! like, <laughs> yeah... They found a, a pill of Imodium AD that I was bringing to a friend, and they start like, and they're yelling in Spanish, they start shaking it in front of me like they'd uncovered like a plot to kill the president in this pill. And they're shaking this pill, and, uh, and I just, terrified, go, it's to stop you from shitting! <laughs> and then they confiscated it, like they were like, ooh, great, maybe before bed. Uh, no more sleep shits for this officer. And at this point, Michael Stipe has his phone and he manages to text help to uh, Peter Buck's wife. But it auto-corrects to, hello! <laughs> Hi! Thought you were going to sleep, but I guess you want to send one-word messages back and forth. Finally, they let us put everything back in our pockets. And then weirdly, like, once we have everything, they, like, start speaking English, but it's kind of oddly friendly, where they're just like, all right, well, have a cool stay, and uh, check out Game of Thrones, pretty good series, like that guy, like, wait, wait. 
Like, what? And then they jump in the SUV and then they screech off just like normal policemen would. And we are very relieved and we start walking back to the hotel and I look in my wallet and I realize that they stole a thousand pesos, about a hundred dollars. And I was like, oh my God, that was just a super polite, no punches based mugging. Uh, and so the next morning I, I, I called my girlfriend and I was like, so last night at three in the morning, I was mugged uh, by the Mexican police with Michael Stipe. And they stole about $100. And she just kind of pauses and goes, that story sounds like it's worth about $100. (laughs) Fair enough. No, I think it's a very interesting topic because I, God, I have a friend who's... Who's, who's like a professor of cognitive science and philosophy, and I think that, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think at some point he had said that he thought that a lot of, like, a lot of problems people talk about, that the solution to them would be fame, which is like a really interesting, like... How so? I don't know. I think, I think it ranged from, you know, parents, like, wanting their child to be successful to... Uh-huh you know, random inconveniences that happen in everyone's life that he was like, oh, like the thing that would solve all of these radically different problems was, I think, and I don't know if there was like a range where like too much fame would like create new problems, but so I think it was like some degree of moderate fame would solve some amount of, of issues, which I always thought was kind of really yeah. interesting. But might well create others. But I think that it would be, like, at a certain level, it would create problems. Yeah. Like, you know, I've definitely been with people where, like, oh, you have to, like, you, uh, like you have to, like, leave a place because right. it's, like, or, like, people are, like, literally tweeting or texting friends about yeah. your location. Yeah. Like, I've definitely been, or... <laughs> Are just drunk and have like a, they're like we have to do this and or like yeah we had a drunken moment after you left the night before your wedding with these guys who were just like that's the guy I can't think of who's the black guy from the Daily Show like they were literally like they didn't even know who Wyatt really was but they recognized his face and they were so excited and they were like coming up to me yeah, yeah. like I was somebody like you know that guy I'm like yeah. I mean, right, no, right. I don't actually. I don't, but I know his friend. <laughs> but yeah. if you want to go, just go do your thing. Right. And that so, became a little awkward. Yeah. Right. And so I've definitely been with people where, like, you have to leave, or like it's too overwhelming, mm-hmm. or people have. There's an ownership of 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 celebrity mm-hmm. that I think is really odd. I mean, I, I I I yeah, I don't know. Or there's like a level of like. I don't know, you should appreciate this. I think there's, like... I definitely appreciate that people like my work, and I definitely appreciate a certain level of stuff, but I don't believe, like, someone would be, like, allowed to, like, drag me around a town for four hours mm-hmm. meeting people. Like, I don't know. I don't know where, like, the mm-hmm. the line would be. So I definitely know know people who I see get overwhelmed by a level of 
sort of unusual intrusiveness that nobody would normally do except for they weirdly think is appropriate, I guess, if you're... That they're entitled. Yeah, because they're like, well, I, I think there's this idea of, like, I gave you your career or something. I don't yeah. really know. Yeah. It might be. I mean, again, this is not yeah. that common. Yeah. But I've certainly seen it where I think, like, oh, like, thank God that isn't me. Like, that seems completely overwhelming. There's a right. reason that people have, like, handlers and, like, you know, sort of people between you and other people and it's because sometimes it can be completely overwhelming but with that said like that for me is like a very negligible like I think yeah. like once when like I forget if you were there but me and Katie and might have been me and you Anya like we were in like at a bar in Amherst and like we had to leave like the main bar because somebody mm-hmm. there was like a guy who kind of recognized me and then he kept bringing people over and they were all drunk right. out of their minds but all we did is go downstairs right like it wasn't I, like we yeah. you know like so that was like a time where I was like oh this is like crazy right. like you're right. like I don't even know if he knew my name he just kept bringing more and more people over and then everybody right, because you're a guy I kind of recognize who's here and then like making in ABC. you and then sometimes people will go like why like how do I know you and I'm like I I'm not the one who's like I didn't go like you yeah. have to guess who I am yeah. like I wasn't walking around a bar yeah. going guess, guess who, who I, I am. am like so it was <laughs> sort of that was like that was sort of one of the more extreme yeah. things where it was like okay well that like we gotta I can't yeah. Like this is overwhelming, yeah. um, but normally it's actually like it's yeah. really people being so sweet. I kind of feel like you're in a. You talked about the accepting twenty to fifty percent more. Yeah, I feel like you're in a place where if I could plateau here, I used to to say to people I'd like to be David Sedaris sixteen years ago famous. You can Pretty go on famous. Letterman now and then. Yeah. But you're still kind of invisible, and you get to write all the books you want. And if yeah. you if you call up the thing that I'm talking about is, I'm always talking about is David Sedaris could say, "Dear David Bowie, I really like your work. Can we have a chat sometime?" And you'll get a response. I mean, David Bowie is dead, but yes, yes, yes. no, just yeah. David <laughs> couldn't write him now, but but so I feel like you've re- clear you're at that, still very that clear, very nice place. Yes. I mean, I'm not that, like, I couldn't write someone like, I mean, I would, like, I couldn't write Don Henley and go, like, Don Henley, let's meet up. Terrible example Don, of not that I David didn't know. Bowie. I've never heard you play any Don Henley. No, I just, I was just trying to think of someone equally famous, but not. Yeah, yeah. But not, you're uh, trying to walk it back. Equally but, famous. But, oh, my God, people are going to be furious yeah. now. They'll be like, there's uh, one thing that was egregious. Boys of Summer? Sure. Yeah. I'm trying. Uh, I should have said Mark Knopfler. Um, sure. I have... It's funny. There's one person who automatically, in the music category, mm-hmm. is, is there, and he's... It's it's one of those, like, in the conversation with Hardy, when he said, do you have any business with the fella? If not, then why are you going to go talk to him? But because he was such a formative figure, I always think, oh, Elvis Costello, we'd have so much to talk about. Right. And he'd be like, you're not... No. No, I mean... Thank you. I'm glad you liked my work and it was important. Yeah. And and so it's important. That's a good example. I do not think I could write Elvis Costello and have him be like, okay, when I'm in New York. <laughs> Maybe even like when I'm in Massachusetts. Yeah. He might. I mean, he doesn't no, no, know no, no, your no. work, probably. Right, right. Yeah. That's, yeah, I don't mean... He might be a Bob's fan. You, you never know. And they're, yeah, they're... 
There totally yeah. are. Yes, I don't mean he would be like, absolutely not. I think it's just yeah. like a weird, yeah. like, dear Albus Costello, I'm on a cartoon <laughs> and I have always liked your music. <laughs> like, I think that he'd be like, all right, that sounds fine. Yes. I think you probably, it's probably something that happens yeah. through like now. like Yeah, you met Robin through friends. I mean, stuff. everyone I've met and know is largely through friends. Yeah. I haven't like ever reached out in yeah. some like formal letter. Yeah. Dear Bill Clinton. But I think, yeah, the thing about, again, Don Henley and Bill Clinton are the two examples that you brought up. Great. Um, I also brought up Mark Knopfler. You know what it is? It's that Lou Reed is dead. He would have been my example. He would have been the person that I would have, like... Really wanted to... Well, that's like a superstar. That's like a star... Yeah, where like you like yeah, we're like across yeah. like generations and yeah, uh, that I would have been like uh, the, the whose music I love that yeah. I would have loved to meet. Yeah, um, I saw him on the street once, uh, coming out of side of yeah a building like I don't know a year or two before he died, and I like at yeah. the time was like I'll I won't say anything to Lou Reed. He seems like he you probably know, it, doesn't need it, my me. Yeah. but it, now I'm like oh I maybe should have said like mm. I. Like your stuff, yeah. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Because you would have, he would, it would have felt, you would have felt like you said it. I definitely would have felt. He like wouldn't said have it. been like, I oh, I never... this guy said, but it would have meant something to you to say it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, I didn't say anything to him. Mine are are really, obs- they're performance art people. Back when I I did take performance very seriously, right? And I monologue stuff, and I kind of semi, semi I didn't stalk but I went out of my way to run into Spalding Gray a few times mm-hmm. I had a book signing and then little serendipitous ways I was connected to him uh, I had a I sat behind him and his family on an airplane yes. <laughs> right behind them and eavesdropped on them all, all the whole trip and one of the children dropped a piece of paper that said it was so great, and I somewhere, and I haven't been able to find it for years. It said like had everybody's name, like mommy, blah blah blah, Spalding instead of dad. It even, <laughs> and after that trip, I was flying into New York to do a month of my performance show, and I told him about it, and I had a friend in San Francisco who knew his wife, and one night they even had reservations, but they didn't come, and that was the end of that. But but of Laurie Anderson mm-hmm. would be a big person to right. for me to, for, to to. Well, that's still something. But it's happen. not about meeting her. It's about her saying, "Hey, what you're doing is valid." Her validation, right, would mean something, and that's just silly because your work has to be its own validation to an extent. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it with wanting it to be appreciated or wanting it to be appreciated by specific mm-hmm. people. Um, but yeah, I think that like for me overall it's just the idea that you have a career. Yeah. Like that was like my standard always and my goal was always like I am yeah. a, a person who is working in this right. field. Which may be a reason why you progressed and worked steadily and weren't it wasn't about it was about making the work first and foremost is my point and then wanting people, right? Well, sort of. I mean, meaning but like at a level of it being like putting out records or making a special mm-hmm. like not like like meaning I definitely remember when I was doing comedy in Boston and doing like stuff that was like working like would kill sometimes or would be weird sometimes mm-hmm. 
And then at some point realizing, like, it's very, very important for me to figure out how to make the thing that I think is funny and weird funny to an audience. Like, it was like, like the the idea that, like, I was just making this thing, and if people get it, they get it. Like, no, absolutely not. Like, it's... Right. I mean, not to say that you can make everybody laugh at everything, mm -hmm. but that it was super important that if if you that if you could convey the thing you're trying to convey to convey it. Yeah. So that I, was I, yeah. Yeah. What I was saying, I guess, didn't contradict that. It's just that you you seem to have a healthy ego detachment from the success of your work is an audience appreciating this thing yeah, you're yeah. trying to make yes. for an audience. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes, and not this audience, or or how big an audience, or yes. whether you know. And I feel like a lot of people get shut down and stifled by those. Yeah, though a lot of people also are driven to mass success by it. So it just depends. It's a good point. Yeah, like a lot of people have like a super drive that makes them, you know, better and better mm -hmm. and better. You you know, but right. the truth is, it's all sort of ongoing. Like at some point. You know, I might be like, oh, this is really what I want to focus on now, or this is what mm -hmm. I want to do, so I don't know. Are you up for one more drink? We can just stop talking or just we, leave this on and see what happens. Yeah, sure, we yeah. can do more. I, yeah. yeah, I'm happy to yeah. do that if you want. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Sure. Why not? Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, I'm making sense still. Oh, yeah. And I'm saying what I want to I say. I feel like you seem the way you seem all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we've had only, like, a few drinks over a period of many hours. Yeah. Would you ever want to be running a show of your own that you're not in? Um, maybe. I think it might be a lot of work. So they say. Um, I guess it just depends. And I think it depends also at what stage in life. So I think, like, right now offhand, probably not. Yeah. Yeah. It's a sort of gigantic role in terms of just, like, what you're coordinating. Like, from what I've seen, it's incredibly overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're, like, you're running a thing on a pretty big scale. I think Mitch Hedberg had some joke. I can't remember what it was, but it was, like, about sort of, like, oh, you do this thing. Like, we'd like you to do this sort of similar but actually totally different thing. <laughs> so it's sort of, like... I know enough to, I think, not be wrong about what a showrunner does, but, like, I've never done it, and I'm not, and I'm, yeah. like, on a different side of it all. Yeah. But, yeah, like, would I... I don't think I... I so offhand, no, I don't particularly want to showrun anything that I'm... that isn't, like, my show. And even if it's my show, I'd really try strongly to avoid being the showrunner. Because I would want... I would other, never want that. Yeah. Role. I mean, I'd want to... Like have like massive input and have like creative input, but I don't think that there's like, I don't have a desire to coordinate that that element of it. I like coordinating some things. I mean, also, you talked about running the writing room, which made me think that something that's much more conceivable and makes more sense for who you are and what you do. Have you ever been considered to be or wanted to be considered to be on? Not anymore, it seems, but like to write for a late night. I Me in the room when I was in yeah. when when I first moved to New York, I would definitely like submit to write on Conan and stuff like that. And um, you know, it's funny. It, it like in 
it never it never quite happened and then in the end actually it sort of was great that I never one of my first breaks was getting hired for some like you know I must have been in New York for about a year and it was getting hired for some I can't remember what it was some show on VH1 or MTV I can't remember I think it was VH1 like a writer on some show and literally the day after I like I was I was pretty broke and I like got hired and I went and it was like the building was in Times Square and I went to like some sushi place there and I was like I'm gonna like spend like $36 on sushi it was like an unimaginable amount of money (laughs) and and uh, like to celebrate like oh my god I got this like I finally like I'm making headway Mm -hmm. And the day after, this is how I could find out when this happened, the day, the next day, uh, there was a huge overhaul and everybody was fired and the show went away and everything went away. And that was also like a really great lesson of like, don't buy $36 of sushi. Yeah. I remember all the times that people who were, who I was very excited to meet or have a meal with, like that that happened. Right, but they might not remember and that's okay. Oh yeah, that's it's 100% the problem. Okay. The people don't think it's okay. They're wrong. It's Remember super that time okay. when I when I shook your hand? Yeah. One of my least favorite greetings is "You don't remember me, do you?" So funny because I don't I don't know. It's so odd because like I like certainly met lots of people a second time who don't remember me, and I yeah think it's super not weird. Yeah. So I don't know. But I recorded I, don't know. I recorded my friend who's a, a director and documentary director Penny Lane. Mm-hmm. Her name is Penny Lane. She says, I have it very good. Because if someone says they don't remember me, they're lying. Because my name is Penny Lane. It's her given name. Yeah. So either they're lying or they're insane. So she can immediately sort out. And she never has to. But she has the burden of people coming up to her much more and saying, you don't remember me. Right, right. And it's like, well, I remember you big. Yeah, yeah, Penny Lane. Well, also like, I remember things like meaning like, I remember going to mm-hmm. a party in or near Turner's with you yeah. around the time that I had gone right. there. That like, I feel like Rendezvous was maybe open yeah. or had just opened, like, or yeah. like if I had met somebody when like we did the Thrive Project yeah. thing. Like if somebody was like, I met you at that thing, yeah. I'd be like, okay, I remember the thing, and I yeah. have a sense of what you mean. Yeah, it's just more like. And you just say, oh, great, it's good to meet yeah. you again. Yes. But also, if that was like, if my complaint about fame was like, sometimes people... Well, part, yeah. Then it's like, oh, that sounds fine. Yeah. You know. All right, I have to go to sleep because yeah, I might have too. to wake up in a few hours and keep you okay. texting. Um, Thanks, Eugene. Thank you, Jamie. That was really fun. It was really fun. All right, good night. Good night. Bye-bye. Alexa, Christmas lights off. That's going in there. Thanks one more time to Eugene for coming on the show and for being so supportive of me in this. I plan to be at it for at least the next 10 years. Tune in in the next few weeks for graphic novelist Jessica Abel, NPR superstar Tina Antolini, and in a few months, but I'm so excited, I'm going to tell you about it right now, writer George Saunders and so much more. Find us wherever podcasts are found or at 15minutesjamieberger.com. That's 15minutes, 
J-A-M-I-E-B-E-R-G-E-R.com or look for us on Facebook or on Twitter or Instagram at 15MinsJamieB, 15MinsJamieB. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, everybody. This is Jamie back from 2016 to 2020. I'm speaking very quietly because I just got a text from my intrepid engineer, Ed. It is around 1.30 in the morning, and I've been up watching the CNN and watching a show on HBO about the people who come back from the past. I can't remember what it's called. It's Norwegian. I think it's Norwegian. Point is, Ed uh, texted me to say he didn't see an outro in the reboot to Eugene that I had sent him. It's because I didn't record one. So I just wanted to bring this little archive back to the present. And in the midst of all that, that watching TV tonight and hanging out uh, with my wife, after she went to bed, I actually did do a little bit of writing. And I've been wanting to do more than a little bit ever since this all began a few weeks ago. This uh, enforced solitude. And I haven't done any. Um, but I did a little bit tonight. And so I encourage you all to do what I am not very good at at all. And that is be patient and forgiving of yourself and let yourself be where you are right now and call up some old friends on the phone. It's the best thing I've done. Oh, and hey, go rent and watch. It started as a joke. All right. Thanks for listening. As ever. Uh, oh, coming up next is Jesse Thorne next week. And as ever, this is 15 Minutes and I'm... Jamie Burger.